0: Yesterday, we started tackling some biblical data, which makes talking about God's love more difficult than perhaps first glance. Some evangelicals can emphasize God's love and compassion to the extent where there is no room for a holy God who is angry at sin. Others can emphasize God's justice and God's wrath to the extent where it looks like there is no room for God's love. D.A. Carson wrote a book a few years back called The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God, and he speaks of five different ways in which we can speak of God's love. Now, of course, this list is not exhaustive, but it gives us grips for perhaps the biggest categories. So first of all, he talks about this inter-Trinitarian love of God, the love of the Father for the Son, and the Son for the Father. Secondly, he talks about God's providential love over all that he has made. And I always think of the end of the book of Jonah where God mentions the cattle that he even cares for. Uh, Thirdly, we see God's salvific love that pleads with sinners to be saved. Fourthly, we see God's special elective love that he has for his chosen people. And then fifthly, he mentions God's conditional love directed towards His own people based on obedience. So, brothers, do you think that we can defend these categories biblically?
1: What Carson does is he actually he inspires some thought there, where you know maybe we haven't thought in those categories, but we certainly can go back and see representational statements uh, in God's Word that would show that. You know, remember it. Uh, uh, Jesus' baptism and his transfiguration, uh we hear the words of the Father the uh, saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And, you know, before before, cre- be- before the world was created, uh, God is eternal. And uh, as pointed out when we were talking about the sovereignty of God last week is, you know, that there was this inter-Trinitarian uh, relationship, uh, you know, and... God's attribute of love existed back then. Where was it exercised? It was exercised within that uh, trinitarian relationship, mm-hmm. um, you know. The, and so, um, you know, the the you know the fact that God is love—that's the fountain and prototype of all love. Um, it's eternal and, and necessary, and uh, and every other act of love is a is is an effect of that love. Mm-hmm. Um, we go all the way back to. The, um, to the very beginning of the relationship.
2: Yeah, it, I think it's vital that we start there, and that's a place that as Christians often we forget about, but it's the fact that God's love starts in eternity between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and it's already pre-existing before He makes us in His image, before He sends His Son to become one of us, to save us. It's it's the fact that it's a reflection of God's eternal inner Trinitarian love that then gives us the assurance that the love God shows us in Christ is not just some nice thing that God did for us one day, but who knows how he will feel tomorrow. It shows us that what God did in Christ is who he is. Mm -hmm. In other words, Christ, in Philippians 2, Paul talks about this, Christ didn't become one of us and die for us in spite of being God. Mm -hmm. He did it because he's God. Mm -hmm. And when you start thinking that, you you understand how profound and and almost unnerving the love of God is in the way that it's existed uh, between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus, in John 17, in his prayer to the Father shortly before his crucifixion, it's clear that... He, the way he is saving us is to bring us into the love, and to share with us the glory of the Trinity.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So these these categories. Uh, let me just give you my take on being able to defend these biblically. I think I think we actually absolutely can. So the first category of God's inter trinitarian love. Somebody already mentioned here. You know, we we see this biblically, especially like in Proverbs eight, where uh, the wisdom of God is is personified, and we we believe that's Jesus Christ, and he and he says, "Before the foundation of the world, I was with you, I was rejoicing in you, and all of your works." Right. And then, of course, in the Gospel of John, we see uh, the Father loving the Son, and the Son loving the Father. Um, just promiscuously. Uh, and that's a different type of love than God's providential love over all that he's made. That, that seems rather obvious. He doesn't love cattle in the same way that he loves Jesus. Um, but then when we get to God's salvific love, where he pleads with sinners to be saved— um, he pleads with sinners. We we preach John three sixteen. We uh, we generously give the free offer of the gospel to everybody that will listen because God has made that available for people to be saved. But that's a different type of love right. than God's electing love, and,
1: and it's it's similar to when Jesus is, is coming in that in his triumphal entry there Matthew. Uh, Twenty-three, thirty-seven. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, mm-hmm. the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. Yeah. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing? Yeah. You know, there is, a, there is a, a compassion, a benevolent love that he would have gathered them if, you know, that, that free offer of the gospel.
0: Yeah, there. and we know there's another story. I think it's in the Gospel of Luke, but I could be wrong, where that rich young ruler comes to Jesus and... Uh, he asks, "What must I do to be saved?" And and Jesus has a conversation with him. Now we know at the end of the story, the man walked away from Jesus in unbelief. But it says in the text that Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not mm-hmm. the same type of love that he uses to overcome that resistance. Jacob, have I loved and Esau, have I hated? So right away, you, you see these categories laid out, and you're like, "Okay, I can actually see how there is some distinctions here in the way mm-hmm. that God loves people." Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, and and it's a doorway into seeing that the Bible's use of of of, the, of love, and particularly uh, God's love, is is much more nuanced than if we take uh, you know the the Hollywood version of love and the the modern cultural assumptions about love, and try to import those into the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this is a good reminder uh, that that the love of God is is broad and deep and and. Uh, has subtle nuances of meaning that we need to pay attention to when
0: we're reading the Bible. Well, let's jump on that word nuance, because that's where I'm going next. So uh, one of the ways that Carson says in this book that we as evangelicals can go wrong is when we absolutize one of these categories, when we make one of these categories the only category of God's love, and we erase every other category. In other words, if we ignore these nuanced ways of speaking about God's love and we reduce God's love to one all encompassing category then there are serious consequences of that what are some of those consequences if we reduce God's love to just one of these categories
1: well if uh, you know and this is one of the areas whom, which we can talk about you know because we believe in God's love in election you know he he loved us before the foundations of the earth and that but if we place all our emphasis on God's electing love there is a sense in which it can lead to a certain coldness, um, you know. And if God's providential love for his creation receives a sole em- emphasis, pantheism or, or some other form, uh, you know, takes place. So we do need to see that, that nuance there.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you. That's exactly what Carson says in his book. If the love of God refers exclusively to his love for the elect, it's easy to drift towards a simple, absolute bifurcation. God loves the elect, and he hates the reprobate. And that's the only categories in which we're thinking. And I have to say, again, I mentioned this, I think, in an earlier broadcast, being in the Reformed tradition for, for 10 years, this has been a difficult thing for me to work through because I want to be faithful to b- the biblical data. I don't want to ignore the places where it talks about God's holy hatred of sin, and nor do I want to ignore the places where it talks about God's love.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And so God's love is, is more nuanced than simply one straight-up definition. He loves Jesus in a very special, unique way because Jesus is the Son of God. He loves all of his creation, including turtles and flowers and sparrows and cattle in a very specific way, because everything that he has made is very good. He has compassion on lost sinners because it's his very nature to have pity on those who are, who right. are dying. Well, right. you,
1: you had mentioned the, that last verse in the book of Jonah, you know, that we don't. We don't go back and forth between these things. That we don't just simply compartmentalize them. It's interesting how uh, God puts His love uh, in you know each of these categories into one verse. He's, is it? And should I not have p- pity on Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than a hundred and twenty thousand persons who do not know their right hand from their left? They haven't even you know they they ha- they they are not even at the point where they can you know the logic can work in there. In uh, into them, and then he also says, "And much cattle." You know? <laughs> I should have pity on these people that don't know their, their right hand from their left. We yeah. can think of infants in that case, yeah. uh, and also much cattle. Yeah. You know, there, there's there's this benevolence toward humanity, but there's also a. a
0: a a love over the things that he's made. I was on the greenbelt the other day walking with Monica, my wife, and we ran across this lady and she's like, did you guys see that turtle over there? It was this big, massive turtle. I mean, it was the size of, bigger than a basketball. And she's like, it's right out in the sun. I think it's going to die. I put some, you know, I put some, Berries there for it to eat. So we walked over to this turtle, and there was another group of people, and they were all like, oh man, this turtle's gonna die. And everybody was concerned about this turtle, right? So I just picked it up and stuck it in the water, and then it was fine. But I was reflecting on it afterwards. I'm like, Monica, you know, where did they get this idea that they should care for turtles? You know, I mean, that it, they weren't like deliberating, hey, there's this turtle here. Should we love this turtle or not love this turtle? There was a natural compassion and pity that these people had ingrained in them over this right. little animal that right. came from God.
3: Mm-hmm. That's right.
0: So um, I, I hope that as you, you as a listener, as you're t- starting to think about the love of God, it's, it's far more nuanced than... Than, uh, perhaps at first glance. Um, God does speak about different ways in which he loves um, not only his son, but creation and and the uh, the reprobate and the elect and in even the way that he deals with believers. Let's talk a- as we finish this program today, a little bit about God's inter- inter-Trinitarian love. Um, I believe this is one of the most tragic things uh, when we ignore this part, um, because if we ignore God's love towards His son and God's, uh, son's love towards his father, we inherently become man centered. That's where we have to begin. We begin with God instead of man. And so let's begin with God's inter Trinitarian love. What does scripture say about God's love and delight in being God?
3: Well, one of the first places to begin there is the first John God is love, uh, apart from the Trinity, that's a nonsense statement. you know how you how can God be love? you know we, we could think and when we think in human terms we could think of you know God being loving as an attribute of God. But when we say God is love, apart from the Trinity that makes no sense that that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are bound together in eternal love. That, that's that's the sense in which God is. Love, even mm-hmm. apart from us, and God's love toward us, but it mm-hmm. extends God's love toward us extends out of that trinitarian relationship. Yeah,
2: yeah we see, you know, um, in the Trinity, it you know, it's not an eternal commune of thing one, thing two, and thing three. It's the Father is eternally the Father, the Son's eternally Son, the Spirit the Spirit but we look at how that love expresses itself the the son expresses his love by submitting himself to the father's will going becoming one of us going to the cross on our behalf but part of the reason why the father calls the the son to this is not only to save us But so that he can exalt his son and make him the king of heaven and earth Mm. and place all things under him. And then we see the father and the son actually exalting the spirit, which is easy to miss because the spirit is exalting the son and doesn't call a lot of attention to himself in the Bible. But we see Jesus saying that blasphemy against the father and the son can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. So you see there they exalt the spirit and it's like that that's the way the trinity functions Mm -hmm.
0: well we'll pick up on this tomorrow as we continue on the love of god we'll see you next time